0: Section eighteen of A Budget of Christmas Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Jane Conlin. The Christmas Princess by Mrs. Molesworth. In the olden times, there lived a king who was worthy of the name. He loved his people, and his people loved him in return. His kingdom must have been large. At least, it appears to be beyond doubt that it extended a good way in different directions, for it was called the Kingdom of the Four Orts, which, of course, as everybody knows, means that he had possessions north, south, east, and west. It was not so large, however, but that he was able to manage it well for himself. That is to say, with certain help, which I will tell you of. A year never passed without his visiting every part of his dominions, and inquiring for himself into the affairs of his subjects. Perhaps, who can say, the world was not so big in those days. Doubtless, however that may have been, there were not so many folk living on it. Many things were different in those times. Many things existed which nowadays would be thought strange and incredible. Human beings knew much more than they do now about the other dwellers on the earth. For instance, it was no uncommon case to find learned men who were able to converse with animals quite as well as with each other. Fairies, of course, were often visible to mortal eyes, and it was considered quite natural that they should interfere for good sometimes perhaps for evil as to that i cannot say in human affairs and good king braveheart was especially favoured in this way for the help which as i said was his in governing his people was that of four very wise counsellors indeed the four fairies of the north and the south the east and the west these sisters were very beautiful as well as very wise. Though older than the world itself, they always looked young. They were very much attached to each other, though they seldom met. And it must be confessed that sometimes, on such occasions, there were stormy scenes, though they made it up afterward. And the advice they gave was always to be relied upon. Now, King Braveheart was married. His wife was young and charming and devotedly fond of him, but she was of a rather jealous and exacting disposition, and she had been much spoilt in her youth at her own home. She was sweet and loving, however, which makes up for a good deal, and always ready to take part in any scheme for the good of their people, provided it did not separate her from her husband. They had no children, though they had been married for some years. But at last there came the hope of an heir, and the queen's delight was unbounded, nor was the king's joy less than hers. It was late autumn, or almost winter, when a great trouble befell the pretty queen. The weather had grown suddenly cold, and a few snowflakes even had fallen before their time. But Queen Clarabel only clapped her hands at the sight, for with the winter she hoped the baby would come and she welcomed the signs of its approach on this account. The king, however, looked grave, and when the next morning the ground was all white, the trees and the bushes covered with silvery foliage, he looked graver still. Something is amiss, he said. The fairy of the north must be on her way, and it is not yet time for her visit. And that very afternoon the snow fell again. More heavily than before, and the frost wind whistled down the chimneys and burst open the doors and windows. And all the palace servants went hurrying and scurrying about to make great fires and hang up thick curtains and get everything in order for the cold season, which they had not expected so soon. It will not last, said the king quietly. In a few days there will be milder weather again. But nevertheless, he still looked grave. And early the next morning, as he was sitting with the queen, who was beginning to feel a little frightened at the continuance of the storm, the double doors of her boudoir suddenly flew open, an icy blast filled the room, and a tall, white-shrouded figure stood before them. "'I have come to fetch you, Braveheart,' she said abruptly. "'You are wanted,' Sorely wanted in my part of the world. The people are starving, the season has been a poor one, and there has been bad faith. Some few powerful men have bought up the grain, which was already scarce, and refused to let the poor folk have it. Nothing will save their lives or prevent sad suffering but your own immediate presence. Are you ready? You must have seen I was coming. She threw off her mantle as she spoke and sank onto a couch. Strong as she was, she seemed tired with the rate at which she had travelled, and the warm air of the room was oppressive to her. Her clear, beautiful features looked harassed, her grey eyes full of anxiety. For the moment she took no notice of the Queen. "'Are you ready?' she repeated. "'Yes, I am ready.' Said Braveheart, as he rose to his feet. But the Queen threw herself upon him with bitter crying and reproaches. Would he leave her, and at such a time, a prey to all kinds of terrible anxiety? Then she turned to the fairy and upbraided her in unmeasured language. But the Spirit of the North glanced at her with calm pity. Poor child, she said. I had almost forgotten you. The sights I have seen of late have been so terrible that they absorb me. Take courage, Clarabelle. Show yourself a queen. Think of the suffering mothers and their little ones whom your husband hastens to aid. All will be well with you, believe me. But you too must be brave and unselfish." It was no use. All she said but made the queen more indignant. She would scarcely bid her husband farewell. She turned her back to the fairy with undignified petulance. "'Foolish child,' said the northern spirit. She will learn better some day." Then she gave all her attention to the matter she had come about, explaining to the king as they journeyed exactly the measures he must take and the difficulties to be overcome but though the king had the greatest faith in her advice and never doubted that it was his duty to obey his heart was sore as you can understand things turned out as he had said the severe weather disappeared again as if by magic and some weeks of unusually mild days followed and when the winter did set in for good at last it was with no great rigour from time to time news reached the palace of the king's welfare. The tidings were cheering. His presence was affecting all that the fairy had hoped. So Queen Claribel ought to have been happy, but she was determined not to be. She did nothing but cry and abuse the fairy, declaring that she would never see her dear Braveheart again, and that if ever her baby came, she was sure it would not live, or that there would be something dreadful the matter with it. It is not fair, she kept saying. It is a shame that I should suffer so. And even when, on Christmas Eve, a beautiful little girl was born, as pretty and lively and healthy as could be wished, and even though the next day brought the announcement of the king's immediate return, Clarabel still nursed her resentment, though in the end it came to be directed entirely against the fairy. For when she saw Braveheart again— his tender affection and his delight in his little daughter made it impossible for her not to forgive him as she expressed it though she could not take any interest in his accounts of his visit to the north and all he had been able to do there a great feast was arranged in honour of the christening of the little princess all the grand people of the neighbourhood were bidden to it nor you may be sure did the good king forget the poorer folk the four fairies were invited, for it was a matter of course that they should be the baby's godmothers. And though the queen would gladly have excluded the northern fairy, she dared not even hint at such a thing. But she resolved in her own mind to do all in her power to show that she was not the welcome fairy. On such occasions, when human beings were honored by the presence of fairy visitors, these distinguished guests were naturally given precedence of all others otherwise very certainly they would never have come again even among fairies themselves there are ranks and formalities and the queen well knew that the first place was due to the northern spirit but she gave instructions that this rule should be departed from and the snow fairy as she was sometimes called found herself placed at the king's left hand Separated from him by her sister of the west, instead of next to him on the right, which seat, on the contrary, was occupied by the fairy of the south. She glanced round her calmly, but took no notice, and the king, imagining that by her own choice perhaps she had chosen the unusual position, made no remark, and the feast progressed with the accustomed splendor and rejoicing. But at the end, when the moment arrived at which the four godmothers were expected to stake their gifts to the baby, the queen's spite could be no longer concealed. I request, she exclaimed, that for reasons well known to herself, to the king, and to myself, the northern fairy's gift may be the last in order instead of the first. The king started and grew pale. The beautiful, soft-voiced fairy of the south, in her glowing golden draperies, would fain have held back, for her affection for her sterner sister was largely mingled with awe. But the Snow Fairy signed to her imperiously to speak. "'I bestow upon Princess Sweetheart,' she said, half-tremblingly, "'the gift of great beauty.' "'And I,' said the Spirit of the East, who came next, her red robes falling majestically around her, her dark hair lying smoothly in its thick masses on her broad, low forehead. I give her great powers of intellect and intelligence." "'And I,' said the western fairy, with a bright, breezy flutter of her sea-green garments, "'health—perfect health and strength of body, as my gift to the pretty child.' "'And you,' said the queen bitterly, YOU COLD-HEARTED FAIRY, WHO HAVE DONE YOUR BEST TO KILL ME WITH MISERY, WHO CAME BETWEEN MY HUSBAND AND ME, MAKING HIM NEGLECT ME, AS HE NEVER WOULD HAVE DONE BUT FOR YOUR INFLUENCE. WHAT WILL YOU GIVE, MY CHILD? WILL YOU DO SOMETHING TO MAKE AMENDS FOR THE SUFFERING YOU CAUSED? I WOULD RATHER MY PRETTY BABY WERE DEAD THAN THAT SHE LIVED TO ENDURE WHAT I HAVE OF LATE ENDURED. LIFE AND DEATH ARE NOT MINE TO BESTOW OR withhold said the northern spirit calmly as she drew her white garments more closely round her with a majestic air so your rash words foolish woman fortunately for you all cannot touch the child but something much i can do and i will she shall not know the suffering you dread for her with so cowardly a fear she shall be what you choose to fancy I am, and instead of the name you have given her, she shall be known for what she is, Princess Iceheart. She turned to go, but the king on one hand, her three sisters on the other, started forward to detain her. Have pity, exclaimed the former. Sister, bethink you, said the latter. The western fairy added beseechingly, the tears springing in her blue eyes, which so quickly changed from bright to sad. "'Say something to soften this hard fate. Undo it, you cannot, I know. Or at least allow me to mitigate it if I can.' The snow fairy stopped. In truth, she was far from hard-hearted or remorseless, and already she was beginning to feel half-sorry for what she had done. What do you propose, she said coldly, the fairy of the west threw back her auburn hair with a gesture of impatience? I would I knew she said, Tis a hard knot you have tied my sister for that which would mend the evil wrought seems to me impossible while the evil exists. The cure and the cessation of the disease are one. How could the heart of ice be melted till tender feelings warm it? and how can tender feelings find entrance into a feelingless heart? Alas, alas, I can but predict what sounds like a mockery of your trouble, she went on, turning to the king, though indeed by this time she might have included the queen in her sympathy, for Clarabel stood horrified at the result of her mad resentment, as pale as Braveheart himself. Hearken, and her expressive face over which sunshine and showers were wont to chase each other as on an April day, for such, as all know, is the nature of the changeful, lovable spirit of the West, for once grew still and statue-like, while her blue eyes pierced far into the distance. The day on which the princess of the icy heart shall shed a tear, that heart shall melt, but then only." the northern fairy murmured something under her breath, but what the words were no one heard, for it was not many that dared stand near to her, so terribly cold was her presence. The graceful spirit of the south fluttered her golden locks, and with a little sigh drew her radiant mantle round her, and kissed her hand in farewell, while the thoughtful-eyed, mysterious eastern fairy linked her arm in that of her western sister, and whispered that the solution of the problem should have her most earnest study. And the green-robed spirit tried to smile through her tears in farewell, as she suffered herself to be led away. So the four strange guests departed. But their absence was not followed by the usual outburst of unconstrained festivity. On the contrary, a sense of sorrow and dread hung over all who remained and before long, everyone not immediately connected with the palace, respectfully but silently withdrew, leaving the king and queen to their mysterious sorrow. Clarabel flew to the baby's cradle. The little princess was sleeping soundly. She looked rosy and content, a picture of health. Her mother called eagerly to the king. "'She seems just as usual,' she exclaimed. "'Perhaps—' oh perhaps after all i have done no harm for strange to say her resentment against the northern fairy had died away she now felt nothing but shame and regret for her own wild temper perhaps she went on it was but to try me to teach me a lesson that the snow fairy uttered those terrible words braveheart pitied his wife deeply but he shook his head I dare not comfort you with any such hopes, he said, my poor Clarabel. The fairy is true, true as steel. If you could but have trusted her, had you seen her, as I have done, full of tenderest pity for suffering, you could never have so maligned her. Clarabel did not answer, but her tears dropped on the baby's face. The little princess seemed annoyed by them. She put up her tiny hand and, with a fretful expression, brushed them off. And that very evening the certainty came. The head nurse sent for the queen while she was undressing the child, and the mother hastened to the nursery. The attendants were standing round in the greatest anxiety, for, though the baby looked quite well otherwise, there was the strangest coldness over her left side, in the region of the heart. The skin looked perfectly colourless, and the soft cambric and still softer flannel of the finest which had covered the spot were stiff, as if they had been exposed to a winter night's frost. "'Alas!' exclaimed Clarabel. But that was all. It was no use sending for doctors no use doing anything. Her own delicate hand when she laid it on the baby's heart was, as it were, blistered with cold. The next morning she found it covered with chilblains. But the baby did not mind. She flourished amazingly, heart or no heart. She was perfectly healthy, ate well, slept well, and soon gave signs of unusual intelligence. She was seldom put out but when angry she expressed her feelings by loud roars and screams, though with never a tear. At first this did not seem strange, as no infant sheds tears during the earliest weeks of its life. But when she grew to six months old, then to a year, then to two and three, and was near her fourth birthday without ever crying, it became plain. That the prediction was indeed to be fulfilled. And the name Iceheart clung to her. In spite of all her royal parents' commands to the contrary, Princess Iceheart she was called far and near. It seemed as if people could not help it. Sweetheart, we cannot name her, for sweet she is not, was murmured by all who came in contact with her. And it was true. sweet she certainly was not. She was beautiful and healthy and intelligent. But she had no feeling. In some ways, she gave little trouble. Her temper, though occasionally violent, was, as a rule, placid. She seemed contented in almost all circumstances. When her good old nurse died, she remarked coolly that she hoped her new attendant would dress her hair more becomingly. When King Braveheart started on some of his distant journeys, she bade him goodbye with a smile, observing that if he never came home again, it would be rather amusing, as she would then reign instead of him. And when she saw her mother break into sobs at her unnatural speech, she stared at her in blank astonishment. And so things went on until Iceheart reached her seventeenth year. By this time she was as regarded her outward appearance, as beautiful as the fondest of parents could desire. She was also exceedingly strong and healthy, and the powers of her mind were unusual. Her education had been carefully directed, and she had learnt with ease and interest. She could speak in several languages. Her paintings were worthy of admiration, as they were skilful and well-executed. She could play with brilliancy on various instruments. She had also been taught to sing, but her voice was metallic and unpleasing. But she could discuss scientific and philosophical subjects with the sages of her father's kingdom like one of themselves. And besides all this care bestowed upon her training, no stone had been left unturned in hopes of awakening in the unfortunate girl some affection or emotion. Every day the most soul-stirring poetry was read aloud to her by the greatest elocutionists. The most exciting and moving dramas were enacted before her. She was taken to visit the poor of the city and their pitiable homes. She was encouraged to see sad sights from which most soft-hearted maidens would instinctively flee. But all was in vain she would express interest and ask intelligent questions with calm, unmoved features and dry eyes. Even music, from which much had been hoped, was powerless to move her to aught but admiration of the performer's skill or curiosity as to the construction of their instruments. There was but one peculiarity about her, which sometimes, though they could not have explained why, seemed to ice Hart's unhappy parents to hint at some shadowy hope. The sight of tears was evidently disagreeable to her. More certainly than anything else did the signs of weeping arouse one of her rare fits of anger, so much so that now and then for days together the poor queen dared not come near her child, and tears were to her a frequent relief from her lifelong regrets so beautiful and wealthy and accomplished a maiden, was naturally not without suitors. And from this direction, too, at first, Queen Clarabel trusted fondly the cure might come. "'If she could but fall in love,' she said, the first time the idea struck her. "'My poor dear,' replied the king, "'to see you must have eyes, to love you must have a heart.' but a heart she has persisted the mother it is only as it were asleep frozen like the winter's stream which bursts forth again into ever fresh life and a movement with the awakening spring so lovers were invited and lovers came and were made welcome by the dozen lovers of every description rich and poor old and young handsome and ugly so long as they were of passable birth and fair character, King Braveheart was not too particular, in the forlorn hope that among them one fortunate wight might rouse some sentiment in the lovely statue he desired to win. But all in vain. Each prince or duke or simply knight, duly instructed in the sad case, did his best. One would try poetry— another his lute, a third sighs and appeals, a fourth, imagining he had made some way, would attempt the bold stroke of telling Iceheart that unless she could respond to his adoration, he would drown himself. She only smiled and begged him to allow her to witness a performance. She had never seen anyone drown. So, one by one, the troop of aspirants, some in disgust, some in strange fear, some in annoyance, took their departure, preferring a more ordinary spouse than the bewitched though beautiful princess. And she saw them go with calmness, though in one or two cases she had replied to her parents that she had no objection to marry Prince So-and-so, or count such another, if they desired it, it would be rather agreeable to have a husband if he gave her plenty of presents and did all she asked. Though a sighing and moaning lover, or a man who was always twiddling a fiddler making verses, I could not stand, she would add contemptuously. So King Braveheart thought it best to try no such experiment, and in future no gentleman was allowed to present himself except with the understanding that he alone who should succeed in making princess iceheart shed a tear would be accepted as her betrothed this proclamation diminished at once the number of suitors indeed after one or two candidates had failed no more appeared so well did it come to be known that the attempt was hopeless and for more than a year princess iceheart was left to herself very much, apparently, to her satisfaction. But all this time the mystic sisters were not idle or forgetful. Several of the aspirants to Iceheart's hand had been chosen by them, and conveyed to the neighborhood of the palace by their intermediacy from remote lands. And among these, one of the few who had found some slight favor in the maiden's eyes, was a special protégé of the western fairy, the young and spirited Prince Franklin. He was not one of the sighing or sentimental order of swains. He was full of life and adventure and brightness, and his heart was warm and generous. He admired the beautiful girl, but he pitied her still more and this pity was the real motive which made him yield to the fairy's proposal that he should try again. "'You please the poor child,' she said, when she arrived one day at the Prince's home to talk over her new idea. "'You made her smile by your liveliness and fun, for I was there when you little knew it.' "'The girl has been overdosed with sentimentality and doleful strains. I believe we have been on a wrong track all this time." "'What do you propose?' said Franklin gravely, for he could be serious enough when seriousness was called for. She did not actually dislike me, but that is the most that can be said. And however I may feel for her, however I may admire her beauty and intelligence, nothing would induce me to wed a bride who could not return my affection. Indeed. I could scarcely feel any for such a one. Ah, oh, no, I agree with you entirely, said the fairy. But listen, my power is great in some ways. I am well versed in ordinary enchantment, and am most willing to employ my utmost skill for my unfortunate goddaughter. She then unfolded to him her scheme, and obtained his consent to it. Now is your time, she said in conclusion. I hear on the best authority that Iceheart is feeling rather dull and bored at present. It is some time since she has had the variety of a new suitor, and she will welcome any distraction. And she proceeded to arrange all the details of her plan. So it came to pass that very shortly after the conversation I have related, there was great excitement in the capital city of the kingdom of the Four Orts. After an interval of more than a year, a new suitor had at length presented himself for the hand of the Princess Iceheart. Only the king and queen received the news with melancholy indifference. "'He may try as the others have done,' said Braveheart to the messenger, announcing the arrival of the stranger at the gates, accompanied by a magnificent retinue but it is useless for the poor king was fast losing all hope of his daughter's case he was growing aged and careworn before his time does he know the terms attached to his acceptance inquired the queen yes the messenger from the unknown candidate for the hand of the beautiful iceheart had been expressly charged to say that the prince jocko such was the newcomer's name was fully informed as to all particulars, and prepared to comply with the conditions. The princess's parents smiled somewhat bitterly. They had no hope. But still, they could not forbid the attempt. Prince Jocko? said the king. Not a very prince-like name. However, it matters little. A few hours later, the royal pair and their daughter, with all their attendants, in great state and ceremony, were awaiting their guest and Soon a blast of trumpets announced his approach. His retinue was indeed magnificent. horsemen in splendid uniforms, followed by a troop of white mules with negro riders in gorgeous attire. Then musicians, succeeded by the prince's immediate attendants, defiled before the great marble steps in front of the palace at the summit of which the king, with the queen and princess, was seated in state. Iceheart clapped her hands. "'Tis as good as a show!" she said. But where is the prince?" As she said the word, the cortege halted. A litter with closely drawn curtains drew up at the foot of the steps. "'Gracious!' exclaimed the princess. "'I hope he is not a mollycoddle!' But before there was time to say more, the curtains of the litter were drawn aside, and in another moment an attendant had lifted out its occupant, who forthwith proceeded to ascend the steps. The parents and their daughters stared at each other and gasped. Prince Jocko was neither more nor less than a monkey, but such a monkey as never before had been seen. He was more comical than words can express, and when at last he stood before them and bowed to the ground, a three-cornered hat in his hand, his sword sticking straight out behind, his tail sweeping the ground, the effect was irresistible. King Braveheart turned his head aside. Queen Clarabel smothered her face in her handkerchief. Princess Iceheart opened her pretty mouth wide and forgot to close it again, while a curious expression stole into her beautiful eyes. Was it a trick? No. Prince Jocko proceeded to speak. He laid his little brown paw on his heart, bowed again, coughed, sneezed, and finally began an oration. If his appearance was too funny, his words and gestures were a hundred times more so. He rolled his eyes, he declaimed, he posed and pirouetted like a miniature dancing-master, and his little cracked voice rose higher and higher as his own fine words and expressions increased in eloquence. And at last a sound, which never before had been heard, save faintly, made everyone start. The princess was laughing as if she could no longer contain herself, clear, ringing, merry laughter, which it did one's heart good to hear. And on she went, laughing ever till she flung herself at her mother's feet, the tears rolling down her cheeks. "Oh, mamma!" she exclaimed. "I never!" And then she went off again. But Prince Jocko suddenly grew silent he stepped up to Iceheart and, respectfully raising her hand to his lips, gazed earnestly, beseechingly into her face, his own keen, sharp eyes gradually growing larger and deeper in expression, till they assumed the pathetic, wistful look of appeal one often sees in those of a noble dog. Ah, princess, he murmured, and Iceheart stopped laughing. She pressed her hand to her side. "'Father! Mother!' she cried. Help me! Help me! Am I dying? What has happened to me?' And with a strange, long-drawn sigh, she sank fainting to the ground. There was great excitement in the palace, hurrying to and fro, fetching of doctors and much alarm. But when the princess had been carried indoors and laid on a couch— she soon revived. And who can describe the feelings of the king and queen, when she turned to them with a smile such as they had never seen on her face before? "'Dearest father, dearest mother,' she said, "'how I love you! Those strange warm drops that filled my eyes, seem to have brought new life to me!' And as the queen passed her arm round the maiden, she felt no chill of cold such as used to thrill her with misery every time she embraced her child. "'Sweetheart, my own sweetheart,' she whispered. And the princess whispered back, "'Yes, call me by that name always.' All was rejoicing when the wonderful news of the miraculous cure spread through the palace and the city." but still the parents' hearts were sore. For was not the king's word pledged that his daughter should marry him who had effected this happy change? And this was no other than Jocko the Monkey. The prince had disappeared at the moment that Iceheart fainted, and now, with his retinue, he was encamped outside the walls. All sorts of ideas occurred to the king. "'I cannot break my word,' he said." but we might try to persuade the little monster to release me from it." But the Princess would not hear of this. "'No,' she said, "'I owe him too deep a debt of gratitude to think of such a thing.' And in his eyes I read more than I can put in words. "'No, dear father, you must summon him at once to be presented to our people as my affianced husband. So again the cortege of Prince Jocko made its way to the palace, and again the litter, with its closely drawn curtains, drew up at the marble steps. And Sweetheart stood, pale but calm and smiling, to welcome her ridiculous betrothed. But who is this that quickly mounts the stairs with firm and manly tread? Sweetheart nearly swooned again. Jocko? she murmured, "'Where's Jocko? Why, this is Prince Franklin!' "'Yes, dear child,' said a bright voice beside her. And turning round, sweetheart beheld the western fairy who, with her sisters, had suddenly arrived. Yes, indeed, Franklin and no other. The universal joy may be imagined.' even the grave fairy of the north smiled with pleasure and delight and as she kissed her pretty goddaughter she took the girl's hand and pressed it against her own heart never misjudge me sweetheart she whispered cold as i seem to those who have not courage to approach me closely my heart under my icy mantle is as warm as is now your own and so it was. Where can we get a better ending than the time honored one? Franklin and sweetheart were married and lived happily ever after. And who knows but what in the kingdom of the four orts they are living happily still. If only we knew the way thither, we might see for ourselves if it is so. End of section 18. Recording by Mary Jane Conlon.